fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We've been entrusted to do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Great to be here, Dan. As always, very exciting. Assuming it's me. Right. I don't know if you've been taking over or not. We're going to find that out through the course of this conversation. But before we do that, we have to introduce our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, how are you? And are you in a safe, undisclosed location sitting out the pod people apocalypse? I, I don't know why you're so worried about the pod people apocalypse. There, there is no pod people apocalypse, Dan, and you really shouldn't worry about that. <laughs> Uh, everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the tongue twister at the beginning. So we're talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, I love this movie. We're, we're going to talk about both the 1956 one and the 1978 one. But guys, these are two totally different movies. But one of the things that's very similar is you have this alien race or this alien entity slowly taking over people in a small town. No one knows who to trust. Uh, the second one, the 1978 one's almost structured like a zombie movie. One of the people in that recognizes what's going on and he tries to tell people and he's immediately swarmed. If this were to happen nowadays, hey, do you guys think anyone would listen to someone ranting about an alien invasion, whether he was right or not? And B, is it possible that this happened to us thousands of years ago and we are the pod people who took over for the other types of people uh, on the planet? Is that possible? Ben, I'm going to go to you first and end with our official ancient aliens guy, Dr. Michael Dennett. I think some people would believe them. That's for sure. There's a lot of things that get believed these days. Um I think, though, in terms of the thousands of years ago, I think actually it might be longer. Um, we know from evolution that that life on Earth seems to have been seems to have been the same for a pretty long time. So I'm guessing that if if this did happen, it happened way at the beginning when you know vertebrates first kind of started showing up because vertebrates kind of look the same have looked the same for like the past hundreds of millions of years. All right, fair enough. Then what do you think as our resident expert? First of all, on the question of what, would people believe, you know, the problem is, I think, as Ben said, um, the only people who would believe are the people who already believe and the people who need to believe, you know, they have trouble sometimes believing current things that are real that are causing problems. So, you know, I, I'm a little nervous about that. Um, I was really trying to think... Um, in terms of whether it happened recently and where those pod people, you know, the key to the pod people is their lack of emotion. So I was trying to think, was there a particularly boring period in history that we went through? Um, and then evolution kicked back in because um, we're not so boring now. And it did make me wonder, did this maybe happen in the 80s briefly and we're just recovering now? I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the dark ages and that and we were turned into the aliens which had the renaissance. That that, that could be it as well. How about you, Dan? What, what are your thoughts on this? You know, I, so first of all, I, I love that Ben said that, that people would believe them. I'm sure that there's actually a segment of the population who believes this is happening right now. So Ben is exactly right with that. 
uh, no, I don't think anyone would believe them. I think that they would, there would again be this weird fringe people who would believe and everyone else would think they were crazy and they would all be subtly taken over. And as far as this happening in our past, I think it's very possible that this may have happened. I don't think that it did, but it is possible because the first question we have to tackle guys is, how would something from another planet get to us in the first place? The opening scenes are basically, you know, we see this, this entity, this kind of like spore traveling throughout the galaxy and it lands on Earth. You know, this is kind of, this is one of the ideas and how people believe that, that Earth may have been seeded with life from another planet. It's called panspermia. But it's just this idea that there was some spore on an asteroid that crashed land and kind of started life here. and. To me, this is a very interesting idea because even anthrax is one of the toughest spores to kill. It can survive x-rays and gamma rays. That's why it's a biological weapon. This actually doesn't seem like that far-fetched of an idea. So I could imagine this kind of happening, you know, here on Earth. So, Dan, I, I, I'm generally agreed with you. I think the real challenge is them traveling as goop versus deep inside rocks is really the only real issue, right? Because as you said, I see. Yeah. Look, it, where where in the universe life evolved first is is not all that relevant. It, it could evolve multiple places at the same time, one place and spread this way when the planet was destroyed. Many chemicals are fairly stable, but x-rays are a problem, high radiation is a problem, and in the vacuum of space you don't have much protection. Um, you know, on the surface of the Earth, we've got our magnetic field. We got other things protecting us. So, lot likely, much more likely, if you're inside something solid like rocks, and then you hit the Earth in a mini meteor shower and spread. So, uh, the goop is cool, and I really like the idea. Little harder to figure out how the molecules maintain their integrity in goop. Makes sense to me, Ben. What do you think? Yeah, uh, we know there's all sorts of examples of extremophile animals that can survive on space rocks and it's a big concern we have in terms of uh like mars research and life on mars research of well we sent you know viking to mars you know 50 years ago now um did we was there a little bit of bacteria on the side of it that survived the trip and now it's flourishing on mars and when we get there with really good equipment are we just going to find earth bacteria and we're not going to know if it was always there or if it was or if, you know, it got it hitched a ride on something we sent. There's these little creatures called tardigrades or they're a little they're also called water bears. They're these tiny little microscopic animals that like can live in vacuum and they're not active, but they just sit there until they get back to somewhere where they can exist again. Tardigrades are, I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Those are, they are the toughest animals. They, I mean, they can literally survive, I think, anything we can throw at them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's, so it's very possible that this, this plant, this, this entity from outer space has some sort of tardigrade type uh, caliber of resistance in it. But so we have to really talk about, so we'll forget the, we're not going to divide our group on goop or no goop. Okay. We're going to just say it got here. I don't want to be derisive right off the bat, but let's say it got here and it's, it's interacting with, with the plants, right? So it has to, the first thing it has to do is it has to basically combine with the plants, with the flowers, because that's really where it starts out here. So this is not unheard of. You know, Grex is the idea of cross-pollinating. It's for hybrids in the plant life. Uh, I think that this is actually extremely possible. 
I want to hear what you guys think because I got a really great idea here. Um, ben, I want to hear what your, your thoughts on how, how we can, can kind of combine this once it's here. Yeah, well, so obviously, so gene transmission between species is a pretty common thing. Like we have viruses that can infect multiple species. We have, um, but we also have things like symbiosis where uh, you have like remoras that live on the side of shark and they together they form a society of, you know, cleaning off each other and all this stuff. And I don't see why that would be any different with alien goo and plants. You know, they infect the plant, they steal some of the nutrients and they grow. Like that's a thing that could happen. No problem. I love the idea of a society of cleaning off each other. I think that that's really where harmony is. (laughs) That's where we're really going to find peace. Uh, Dennis, what do you think about this? This is pretty, what do you think? I, I, you know, I love so many things about this. I mean, the, the interesting thing which we'll get into is the speed at which things happen, right? And I always find in, in all these things where we're discussing slightly strange technology, particularly things that are a bit horror, it, it's speed that's the real issue. But if I take that out for the moment, it, it really is, at its core, I think, you know, DNA, carbon's pretty, carbon's pretty common. Carbon and the main bases of DNA are pretty common. I would not be surprised if there's multiple life in the universe and it's fundamentally the core chemistry is the same. And that's really what you're talking about here is starting with the core chemistry. And I think Ben already alluded to it. It's basically a virus that can use the key elements of the things it lands in in that environment to replicate its core essence as part of the basic structure that's already there. Uh, I think that's right. Ben, in, in, in the Xenomorph episode, you mentioned how the Xenomorph essentially has a couple of different components that it latches on to any existing life form that it infects. In some ways, I think that this particular alien um, life form did that exact same thing, in the, in it, for, but on a plant standpoint, not, not for animals, but for plants. Because let's get into the pods here. So what's, basically what these things do is they somehow, they transfer the essence of a, the human and then they then they replace them with their counterpart. Uh, we're going to decide whether it's a plant-based counterpart or other, but they essentially replace it with their entity that looks and sounds and acts just like, the, well, not quite acts, but very close to. Uh, so this is really another form. We did the fly, right? I'm going to come back to the fly twice here. This is my first reference. This is really like a form of transportation because they're almost like telepods. They're basically recreating an entire human being very quickly. So my question to you guys is, could you form a human out of plant cells? And if so, what would be the differences in that animal? Uh, Dan, I'm going to go with you first. I'm going to say no, but yes, because I'm sufficiently Uh, (laughs) wishy-washy. Okay, fair enough. What's interesting to me is what I love about this movie and what you just said is we are combining so many technologies we've looked at in multiple episodes, not just the fly, into what I think of as a really cool, biologically-based, super-fast, cloning, conscious-stealing replicator with possibly some teleporting capabilities as well. But the core thing I think that has to happen is everything is basically carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, a few other key elements. And so it's a replicator in that it needs matter, when it first lands here, it, it hits plants. So the first thing it generates, it's nanobots, is a plant-based thing. But it can basically make anything it needs to. And when it, this is the tricky part. When it realizes humans are the conscious, intelligent life, 
it needs to figure out how to generate that out of the factory. So I think it's a plant factory making fundamentally animal cells in the plant factory. So the, the, the humans that come out are animal cells um, generated in a plant factory. All right. Fair enough. Ben, what do you think? I think it's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think when you get down, I think that's interesting because it's hard to think about plant cells living as an animal. Like plant cells have chlorophyll and, st- and not as much or no mitochondria, I believe. And so like the whole, you know, if it was a plant, it would be green and it would need the sun to live. And we don't really see the pod people eat. Uh, it's not clear to me where they get their energy from uh, once they're once they're pods. But I think in some ways it makes more sense that they're they're some sort of alien plant hybrid. They don't really interact with the humans beyond copying the features. Like it doesn't seem like I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to because they like they like shrivel you up at the end. But before then, when they're copying you, I think it's all like visual. Yeah. So yeah. how they how they copy you? They, I don't think they have access to your cells before then. So I think they're copying you with alien cells. Well, this is what confused me a little bit, Ben and Dan. Maybe as the analytic mastermind, you can clear this up. Um, when when Donald Sutherland's character, because I can't remember a single person's name in this. Uh, <laughs> It is getting copied for the first time. The tendrils do have to touch him. They first touch him and connect. And, and, and I think, so I really think, now, you don't see that with Goldblum's character. You don't see him ever getting touched. I don't know what's going on there, so that's why I'm a little confused if there's some teleporting Dan going on. But no, he gets touched in, in, the, um, in the spa. They, they reach out and they, they touch his hand. Um, be, before they, the plant touches him? Oh, no, he... I th- he, I think, I think so. you're right. I think he plays yeah. with a plant. Yeah. Mm. And so I think they're basically genetic recorders, right? When, when you touch them. I, I think of this also, to bring in another one of our episodes, I think of this as the ring in The Expanse, right? It's this alien creature that is basically a photocopier in the following sense. It gets some of its core imprint from you combined with its main thing, which is to remove emotion. So it's also Borg-like, which we're going to get to later. And, and, and there's, oh, there's just so much here, Dan. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to just stop for a moment and catch my breath. Well, no, that's all right. Well, I, I think you guys will be very surprised at some of the things I tell you on how, how similar plants are to animals. So uh, plants are very similar. But to answer this question, I actually think plant cells are not that different from animal cells. They have a cell wall and chloroplast, which is I think is essentially it. And there's actually this parasitic plant in Southeast Asia, parasitic being the key part, that has no chloroplasts. It's the only plant that doesn't have chloroplasts. It takes its energy from the, the vine that it, that it basically is a parasite of. Now, one of the things here is we talk about the replication part. Fact of the podcast is coming here, guys. One of the, as you mentioned, speed is the tricky thing here. So the, the, the speed at which a plant grows is based on the the way that CO2 is grabbed out by a certain enzyme in the plant. It can only grab so many CO2 at a time, which basically that's the speed limit of growing in a plant. There's, I'm going to put up a great article on the website about artificial chloroplasts that have actually, they've designed in a lab that have stopped that speed limit. But that's just for interesting sake. One of the, here's the fact of the podcast here. Fastest growing plant on earth. I thought it was the kudzu. It is not. 
It is bamboo. It, it can grow 35 inches in a day, which is 2.5 feet. The average person, let's say, is five, five something. So in 2.25 days, if this was a bamboo-based plant, it could create a human-sized creature in 2.25 days. Here's what the miles per hour is. Here's how fast bamboo grows. 0. 0.00002, four zeros and a two miles per hour. That seems very small, but I want you guys to notice that it is an actual number. It is <laughs> able to be calculated, which I thought that that was incredible. So I think this could actually be a plant based phenomenon. That is what I'm saying to you. What do you guys think about that? Dan, I love it. I, I think I think at its core, it. I, I have to say, though, I did kind of get a bit convinced by Ben that maybe the best characterization here is alien, that it's plant-based, um, as you would say, Dan, with enough non-plant characteristics that it's kind of a, a creepy alien plant. Now, that's fair enough. But uh, since this is plant, we don't give plants a lot of love. I don't think we give them enough credit. And I want to tell you, plants have a lot of human-like characteristics because they can sense light. They can sense gravity, magnetic fields. They can communicate with each other. They have circadian rhythms. Uh, let me tell you about the Venus flytrap really quickly. And this may change your mind on plants. So a Venus flytrap is a plant that it's a carnivore, right? I did a whole episode on carnivorous plants, fascinating nouns. Check it out. Here's what's amazing about them. They open up. Everyone's seen them. They look like a little jaw. It's got three trigger hairs inside. If you click that trigger hair once, it sends an electrical impulse. The trap does nothing. The second one, the trap will close. The third time a trigger hair is, is, is triggered, it will start to seal like a stomach. And from that point forward, the more times you click one of the little trigger hairs, it will release an appropriate amount of digestive juices, essentially making it into a stomach. So this Venus flytrap can count, it can digest food like a stomach, and it can sense when they're there. These are the types of things that plants don't get enough credit for. That sounds pretty human-like to me, guys. What do you think about that? A lot of very pod people. I'd be scared if an invasive species came down with some Venus fly characteristics. Well, I'm with you on that, Dan. The one thing that's also about that, I noticed you didn't list emotion. And I felt <laughs> it was very, very sort of cinematically appropriate that it was the uh, Leonard Nimoy character explaining that the beauty of joining the pod people was that you got rid of your emotion. No more love, no more hate, and we were all just <laughs> in it together. Um, and your communication point was very key because it's, it's interesting to watch how they communicate because I don't think it really was a hive mind. You know, I was thinking that at one point in the movie because it wasn't perfect enough, but there was some pretty cool coordinated communication going on in interesting ways. And then there was the occasional just really loud pointing and shrieking at each other. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that, that's the that's the alarm signal that, you know, plants have alarm signals where um, if they get cut, they start putting out different uh, fer or pheromones like plant pheromones to indicate that there's a problem. Wow. So that that's the thing. That's pretty incredible. The other thing that really got to me on the subject of the the fast growth is they kind of solved that from an engineering standpoint by pre-growing the pods to like human size in the greenhouse. Mm. So you can speed that up. So you get the you get like a blank human, you get a blank pod person ready in the warehouse, and then you only <laughs> need a few hours to uh, to do the replacement process. Right. Whereas when they first take, if you first take home that little flower pod, 
um, you know, that'll take a while. Yeah, I thought that was a fascinating combination. I mean, it showed it showed an interesting sort of view of a, a potential intelligent alien species that because the other thing um, the psychiatrist Nimoy's character says is, you know, we get your memories, so join us because you're still going to have your memories. You're just not going to have your emotions, right? So the first couple people they get, they learn about our society, and then they use that against us by setting up these engineering, these transportation grids. They take over the police, the city government. Um, somehow, you know, they have cell phone tracking. That's not cell phones. I know that. But the home phone, like, he's like, how did you know it was me, like, calling? They really leverage our infrastructure against us so it decreases the chance of anyone believing you when you say there's pod people out there. No, I think that's really true. One of the things I forgot to mention, which fits into everything that you're saying here, there's I'm going to put this another great article up. There's a lot of great stuff about carnivorous plants, but when the carnivorous plants shifted from the the other the other plant um, plants in in the kingdom, they actually had a duplicate set of chromosomes that they were allowed to repurpose, which is how they were able to to use their root system that you know to create the trap to digest nitrogen instead of the root system because they live in nitrogen nitrogen um uh it doesn't have a lot of nitrogen in the soil it's a um, deficient nitrogen deficient there we go which i found really interesting because this goes to the communication thing the root system that is their the way they communicate with each other there's this whole word uh, this term called the the wood wide web which is basically this interconnectivity of the root systems because they a lot of chemicals get shot off into the roots and they're able to communicate as ben you mentioned uh with with that alarm signal i thought this was really fascinating and i think that there's something they've repurposed something in that system uh i'm just trying to say how amazing plants are to be honest with you i agree with you that this is really cool and what i like about it is whatever the alien life was originally what i like is that their basic genetic coding is so flexible that i feel like whatever they first landed on on earth is what they then were able to take advantage of to invade the planet and because there's so much plant life around you see the goop landing on the plant life and and starting there so that right. that's kind of a, a neat idea that you could take over. And what what a scary movie if they had first landed on fish. Yeah, right. I know. Mm. They landed on 30% of the earth that's green. Yeah. <laughs> what if they had? That's crazy. Um, so th- one of the things that I need you guys help on this, on one of these last points here, because one of the things that I thought was really tricky and I don't have an answer for is essentially the transfer of consciousness happens when the person who is being replicated falls asleep and then they essentially kind of stop existing it's very weird but how did you guys see a solve for that how, how can we how can we do that in real life uh, ben i'm gonna go with you first yeah well i first asked the question do we actually have evidence that the consciousness is transferred oh fair enough could that just be something they tell you to make you feel happy better about it oh man you always go to a dark place ben i don't expect that out of you but uh, yeah. yeah i didn't think about that well i do think it's the memories ben and that was interesting I think they know something, whether or not they actually transfer your memories or just kind of read your mind and then like put it into their hive consciousness so that they can manipulate you. I don't know. (laughs) Cause if they do have your memories, they're not doing a good job of acting like they have your memories. (laughs) Like, like the husband doesn't act like he has the memories. Well, I think what happens in this case, Ben, is their, their total commitment to a lack of emotion overrides yeah. the memories right so they get just enough 
They use enough of the memories to do things like take over our transportation system, take over our production system, know that they're supposed to be a husband or wife or have a job. Yeah. But it's not a perfect cover. Yeah. Right. Which is why I think they're not taking our consciousness, Dan. Now, and I'm wondering if that's why you have to be asleep. And I'm going to say something and then Ben will tell me if I'm right or wrong because he knows way more about this because of his secret identity and job. Right. It's when we're sleeping that the brain is reprocessing our memory. Right. And our and our subconscious, unconscious, I don't know. I never I never know the difference between my sub and my unconscious. So one of those two is doing stuff at that moment. Right. And I wonder if it's sort of like during that shutdown cycle while things are being repaired is the only time they can actively read us. And if you are conscious, you have enough control over your active systems that their whatever their process of connecting isn't powerful enough and it gets overridden. And that's why it fails. That's kind of where I went with the sleep thing. It's a long shot, mm. but I rolled the dice. Yeah. In terms of copying your memories, that kind of makes sense. Because w- when you're asleep, your brain is kind of using, and dreams are part of this, your, your brain is kind of recontextualizing the input and turning it into long-term memories and building those new brain structures while you sleep and while, kind of while it can rest from getting the conscious inputs of vision and hearing and all the other stuff that goes on when you're awake. I think also because they're plants, you know, if you're awake, you can kind of just get away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can that's, run. That's also why they have to get you while you're sleeping. It's also just a great thing of um, no understanding that humans can't be awake forever, that there's a vulnerable time that, every human is going to go through eventually and that's when it's safe to strike i think that's an interesting um the old freddy go about it freddy krueger approach essentially yeah. right? <laughs> although why you don't just start like sleep shifting and i i guess you don't have to like be touched by the plants to like get get brain red and drained well you need to be touched once i think and that's why it's this yeah. weird system yeah, it wasn't clear to me at the end if she was being touched by the plants again when she was like being finished off or if like they just the copy was close enough. There are some inconsistencies in the movie. So it's not <laughs> yeah. so I, I it's not a perfect movie, but th- that whole concept was very weird how they can just kind of like swallow you up. But it, last question I have for you they go from basically infecting one or two people to scaling up an industrial-sized distribution network of pods. <laughs> like, how can that happen? Uh, ben, I'm going to talk to you as an engineer. How would you scale this up very quickly? Well, I, I think what they showed is pretty good. And and when you think about it, they're, it's, it's localized. Like, they, do, they haven't taken over anything besides San Francisco yet at the end of the movie or they're, they're just they're starting to branch out right it's talking about how oh if you have relatives in Sausalito and Sausalito isn't very far away <laughs> from San Francisco so it's clear that their their plan is and this works a lot better in 40 years ago when you know long distance circuits could be easily cut and you couldn't just you know use a satellite to talk all around the world instantaneously but making those key, um, those key cuts in the communication interface so you can take off, take over a, a small section of the, um, of like a, a city, you can take over a single city and then start using the industrial capacity of that city to spread from there. Like that makes sense. And 
like I, like we were talking about having a warehouse to grow the pods. So you're not having to like grow pods in everybody's, uh, you know, flower beds in their backyard. <laughs> right. Having a greenhouse like, helps with that a lot. Yeah. Having that big, uh, greenhouse selves and you know if we look at today's um uh shall we say green uh green plant uh industries you know those have those have sprung up very quickly that's true so i don't see uh how uh, the pod people couldn't do the same thing we did scale up pot production in california very quickly uh maybe those are the pod maybe the pot are the pod people uh, I think that that's really interesting. But I think, so before we end here, we got errors, additions, and omissions on this. I got a couple here I want to run through really quickly. So my favorite thing is in the opening sequence of this movie, we see a shot of a Catholic priest swinging on a swing, staring at kids in a very creepy manner. It's the first scene of the movie. We never refer back to it. What is going on there? It's <laughs> the weirdest thing. Jeff Goldblum is in this and in The Fly. I mentioned Venus fly traps. Uh, and I mentioned uh, flies earlier. They have this incredible phone that's built into the wall. It's basically like a rotary phone that's in the wall. I have a friend on Fascinating Nouns that's, that, that I talked to who actually has one of these. I'm going to put a picture up of one of these things. If you'll notice at one point in the movie, they take five capsules of speed to stay awake, which is definitely a very 70s thing. No one would be suggesting that anymore. There's a dog with a human face. And of course, um, at the end of this, if you guys can mention how you would take care of, of the pod people, how would we defeat them? My answer is herbicide. I don't know why they didn't do anything like that. Uh, Denon, do you have anything? So real quickly, I think my favorite thing is the random use of 70s nudity at the last moment in the film <laughs> you know it's rewatching yeah. these old films it's interesting to see um how that was handled i i forgot to mention that in, in our journey to the center of the earth issue a, a, a episode as well the other big one is i was a little suspicious of of leonard nimoy right from the beginning but i do felt he showed a lot of emotion for a pod person at the point where he had clearly been converted. It was interesting. He was, for someone who was the least emotional Star Trek character, he was the most emotional pod person. Um, <laughs> in terms of getting rid of them, my first thought, this was with my daughter and I, we always strategize together. Um, Flamethrowers, um, just like burn large areas, which I felt was kind of used at the end with the light bulbs that were almost effectively short flamethrowers, but I wanted airborne herbicide. I mean, not just herbicide, Dan. I think you have to generate an airborne one that you spray very quickly. Oh, okay. Like use like uh, crop dusters. Like crop dusters, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Ben, what do you got? Yeah, I think the big thing I problem I had is why are they why were they so trusting? Like clearly something's going on and they're just talking to everybody about it. It's like, did they not think there were pod people in the police yet? Like, what are they doing? <laughs> And also, what's with the trash pickup at like 11 at night? That's weird. No one does that. <laughs> well, it's it's a crazy, crazy time for everyone. If, if our planet was being invaded, I don't know if we would know what to Well, the three of us would know what to do, but I don't know that anyone else would know what to do. So we must guide the future. And if you want a little help with that, you can contact the show. Uh, we are on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We are on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can find us. You can talk to us individually if you want to know how you would defeat these things. Uh, ben is probably the best person to come up with the greatest gadgets to do such a thing. How do you get in touch with you, Ben? How is What's the best way? You can uh, find me on all the major social media networks at BSeepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. Denon, where can people find you? Twitter and Instagram is at Denon Michael. Just switch my name. And then Facebook, you stick in prof, at prof Denon Michael. 
I can be found on Facebook at, at analytical mastermind on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn and at Instagram on at the Daniel J. Glenn. So this is pretty scary stuff, but hopefully we may have made this a reality, but hopefully you could change your reality. If there were alien pod people coming for you, you now know how to defeat them or at least get out of the way or at least impress your friends on how they were created. But this is very incredible, incredibly powerful technology, very valuable information. Be careful with it. Be responsible. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening